Welcome to Coffee with Kim. I'm Kim Kelp, and every week you and I sit down with fascinating, smart, and talented leaders, CEOs, and founders so that we can copy their homework. If someone knows how to do something really well, I want to know what it is and exactly how they're doing it. Get ready for aha moments, gems of wisdom, and little known tips and tricks that we can steal and use in our own lives. If you want to join these conversations and ask these experts your own questions, no point in just me having all the fun. Join us on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern live over on LinkedIn. Happy Wednesday, my friend. It is so good to see you and it's always good to come to you live from Austin, Texas with a little bit of green tea in my very adorable Harry Potter mug. So it is so good to see you. Big hi to Jeff and Kelly and Anya and Giacomo and Raul and Ryan. It is so good to see and Ellen. It's so good to see everybody coming in. If you're new here, welcome. We are a super fun bunch. I promise we don't bite. Say hello in the chat by letting us know where you're coming in from and like me, maybe what is in your cup because we love new friends here and we want this to be an interactive conversation. So if you thought I was going to join today and hear Kim and Jonathan wax poetic, about all the things that they want to talk about, you would be 70% right. So we are definitely going to be doing that. But the 30% that you might not have been anticipating was that you are a part of this conversation too. So if you have questions, comments, something doesn't make sense, there's a follow-up that you think that we're not hitting, that's what the chat's for, that's what your fingers are for, you can do the talking. So it's a little different than maybe what you are used to. So really excited to have you here today. And as you know, we meet here every single Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern to talk to really talented founders, leaders, entrepreneurs, and essentially, let's be honest, copy their homework, steal all their secrets. I don't know about you, but I'm busy. I have a lot going on and I don't have time to reinvent the wheel. I don't have time to relearn things that experts and leaders have already learned. They've already learned it. Why do I have to go learn it? You've already done all the work. So just tell me the highlights, cliff notes, if you will. Let me just copy that homework, steal those secrets, and then use it in my everyday life. So I don't know if you're like me, but it's something that I think works a whole lot better than going down the rabbit hole, getting decades worth of experience, and then figuring out the proper way to do it. So you're in the right place if you want the shortcut that's going to be here. So I was really excited because as we get into, I know this is going to sound crazy, but it is May. I know bananas. We are like getting close to like halfway through the year. I don't know where the first half of the year went. Don't ask me. It's hiding under the bed. It's hiding in the closet somewhere. I don't know, but it's not here. So it pushed by. And what I realized is I don't know if enough of us myself included, are really thinking long-term about the future. I know we've talked about the great resignation, how people are working differently, all of those good things. You could open up your news app on these crazy phones and see that every day. So you don't need me telling you about it. But really, how are we looking to future-proof our careers? How are we looking to future-proof our businesses? How are we looking to future-proof ourselves let's be honest, as humans. And so when I started to really think about this, I was recommended to talk to Jonathan because this is like what he does. So all Jonathan does all day, every day, is he prepares leaders to profit from radical change. So if that's not a definition of the last two years, I don't know what is. So he speaks and advises Fortune 500 companies, executives and leaders on resilient growth strategies. So how, when the bad stuff happens, how are we moving forward? How are we innovating under uncertainty? How are we making ourselves better? And so I thought that some of these quotes about him were so perfect. So Oxford University Press said he's the next best thing to Nostradamus, which if you don't know who that is, that's a Google. We're not going to go into that here. 
uh, at Inc. Magazine called him a Silicon Valley legend. And you might recognize him because he is the author of a fantastic book called Rogue Waves, which we will definitely be getting into discussing today. So again, I don't know what's in your cup. I don't know if it's coffee. I don't know if it's wine o'clock where you are, but wherever you are, please raise your glass of choice and beverage of choice and help me welcome Jonathan to our chat. Hey, it's amazing to see you all. I can't believe, uh, I can't believe you're in Austin. I good, know good. it's the One, Lone Star State. It's it's exploding down there right now. I was, I was down there speaking at South by Southwest a couple weeks ago. I love that. We'll talk yeah. about the future. I don't. Huh. I I mean, I never thought the future would would hold Austin, Texas, for me. But here we are. Oh, all all the cool kids are moving to Austin. Are you kidding? That seems to be what's happening with with our good friend Elon leading the charge. Well, of, of Elon, people coming Elon, down here. Uh, Apple building headquarters, uh, Samsung building a semicon factory, the the Tesla Gigafactory just opening up. I mean, it's it's uh, the the investment culture is is moving in many ways from Silicon Valley to Austin, uh, number two producer of intellectual property in the country after uh, after uh, I, I believe Boston. I did not know that. That is a good fun fact. I'm going to steal that. Done. I love this. Okay. You heard me talk a little bit in your intro, but one of the reasons that I was really sort of fascinated by everything that you're doing, and I know that a lot of times you're working with companies, but mm -hmm. selfishly, I'm a person. So I'm also the, and I'm a, I own a company as well. So it's a mix of both, but selfishly, I'm like, wow, I feel like so much of what you do can also apply to us as people. Like not yeah. that companies aren't people, but it, yeah. it's, it's people advice as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've had Dory on the show. I think that's how we connected. Yeah. So uh, yeah, who is the, she wrote an amazing book called The Long Game. Uh, I did not know about this. Uh, we'd just been having conversations because she's the coolest person ever. And then I open up this book, The Long Game, and I'm in like every chapter of it with like random things I've said to her. Uh, we wrote an article in HBR a couple of months back. Uh, about how to future-proof your career, which I think is incredibly useful. And, and basically what we say is um, <clears throat> the things that are going to get you aren't the ones that you're planning for. They're the ones you haven't considered. <laughs> you know, the decisions that they get you in trouble typically aren't the ones that you make intentionally. They're the ones that you don't think about. And uh in our future and in life, you know, there, there are a couple of things we can do. We can game out what that range of possible futures is. That's really important. Um, the other thing you can do uh, in your career, in your life, is ask your grandmother what went wrong, right? Look at history. Look at, you know, your, your lived experience is very limited data set. So, so what is the lived experience of a dozen people who have been through it, who have seen things go wrong, who have had career plans and then uh, unexpectedly had a third or fifth child, uh, unexpectedly uh, had a, a disease illness in their family, unexpectedly had a disability, uh, unexpectedly had all sorts of things, uh, their house burned down, you know, uh, my, 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 uh, my my uh, father my father in laws um, uh, moved out fortunately, but where he lived in Paradise, California, it, it burnt down. The entire city burnt down a couple of years ago. Like these things happen, and so the question isn't like how do you prepare for the five year career path that the HR people ask you about. It's how do you prepare for the five year career path that HR people do not want you to know about. Right? Well, and, and, and what that's, I think that's is, the question we should be asking. Yeah. And what, what I you, think is hard is that for people like me who are type A, yeah. I love being organized. I love color coding things. I love folders. I love plans. I love vision boards. I love all of it. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes that limits us into what you're saying. You plan so much for when things go right that you don't account for when things go wrong or you right. don't account for like the zig instead of the zag. 
And right. so how can we live the best of both worlds? Because you hear people all the time, whether it's, you know, Tony Robbins or whoever else, or Mel Robbins or any of these people being like, well, come up with a two-year plan or a three-year vision board, or how do you live the best of both worlds where I am envisioning or, or building right. or planning yeah. for this future, yeah. but I'm not married to it, or yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. willing for it to get stuck somewhere. Right. Well, and, and, and my question is this, you know, not what's the future, but what are the range of possible futures? So one of the things yeah. I like to do uh, when I deal with corporate clients is they come to me and they say, we've got our three-year plan. It's bulletproof. And then I say, okay, let's just run through 1900 to 1910 and see if it would survive that decade. Oh, if you don't believe that, what about 1930 to 1940? Or uh, if you think, oh yeah, that, that was like the Great Depression and, and World War II, let's do 1970 to 1980. Let's see what happens. And once you look at a range of possible futures, because the past is just a future that's already happened, you know, what you understand is that range of disruption that's possible. And, and that's why I talk about, like, ask your grandmother, like, what went wrong, right? It gives you an idea, not of the things that will go wrong, but the range of impacts that they could have on your life. And, and if you're smart, what you do is you start to say, okay, well, how, how would I change those impacts into opportunities if they happen? Because the, the big challenge when a rogue wave hits, you know, is that you haven't prepared to surf it. Right? You don't want to take up big wave surfing after the big wave hits. You, you want to prepare for it. So it's not so that you have the answer, but so that you understand the range of pivots that, that you're likely to have to make. And so that you've made the small decisions over time that increase your optionality you know, and your potential. So, so one of the things that um, I've done in my life, you know, I bought a house. Uh, I own that house in cash, not because it's a good investment, but because that becomes a foundation, you know, for my future life, that, that, that there's this one major piece of my life that's a, that's a store of value uh, that, <clears throat> that if my income goes to zero, I still have that piece taken care of. It's a foundational issue in all of our lives. And if you listen to Susie Orman or, you know, one of those finance people, they'll, they'll, the, the better ones will all talk about this. It's great that the stock market will get you a better return, but it's going to give you a bad return on the same day that you need to deal with housing and all these other things. So you want to have that consistent store of value. Um, my, my point being that there are these very small things you can do and, and we won't get into all of them because I'm not an investment advisor, but it's the same concept, right? Like, uh, what are the small things you can do that increase your optionality uh, and your potential over time, right? It's that kind of idea of compound interest, compound growth, uh, and, and diversifying you know, your risk and your opportunity, right? You shouldn't be 100% in Bitcoin or 100% in Tesla. You know, even if you believe in them, you, know, you should be diversified because the goal, especially as you get older, isn't to win the most, it's to win reliably. You know, in business, you don't, uh, you know, you, you don't win by having a great quarter. You win by having more quarters, surviving more quarters, right? That's the foundational, uh, I think, lesson uh, about resilience and growth over time is how do you uh, be successful over more quarters? Um, when I think about uh, all of these things, right? How do you, how do you win more? How do you win more often? How do you lose less? How do you lose less often? How do you make sure that no matter what happens, you don't lose the farm? You know, it comes down to two basic concepts and, and, and they're statistical concepts, unfortunately. Um, one is probability distribution. What, what's the range of possible futures? What's the range of possible outcomes? And just like a magician, right? How do you stack the deck? No matter what happens, how do you shift the probabilities? How do you load the dice in your favor? And there are any number of ways to do that conveniently. Uh, I wrote a book on the topic. Um, it's the number two uh, economics book in China right now, by the way, uh, which is kind of crazy. A uh, country that's really good at long-term thinking. Um, uh, the second concept, you know, we talked about how do you shift probabilities uh, in your favor over time. And then the second concept is about network dynamics, right? How do you shift the flow of potential, you know, past your door? And there are lots of things we can do. You know, I go to a lot of conferences. Uh, I go every year to the TED conference. 
uh, and it's insanely expensive and it never makes any sense. And every year I look at it, I'm like, ah. and yet every year, a lot of potential comes out of it. A lot of opportunity comes out of it and it grows over time. Why? I don't know, but it's about connectivity. It's about being in that network. If I'm not in that network, those opportunities uh, don't happen. And so, you know, the number one thing is like, how do you become more connected to, um, to, to the, the people you care about, the organizations you care about, right? The second is obviously how do you do less stupid stuff, right? Like, <laughs> Base jumping, no matter how much safety precautions you do, jumping off of cliffs, not a really good idea, right? So, so how do you just do less stupid stuff? If you do those two things, right, you can radically increase your potential and your opportunity over time. The third well, piece- Well, I'm curious, you know, when you're bringing up being connected, because I think that yeah. that's, I don't want to say it's a sore subject for people right now, but it, I, I hear Giacomo's point, you know, the last two years, a lot of it, us have felt disconnected. You know, Absolutely. we've been at home. Absolutely. We haven't been at work. We haven't been Absolutely. in touch with, you know, events or networking yep. opportunities. Yep. And I know a lot yep. of people are joining us um, internationally as well. And those are, you know, coming back online slowly, but yeah. surely big super spreader events, which we love are coming back, which is great. I got um, COVID at yeah. this year. It's true. It's true. But, but <laughs> the question is, how do you create that opportunity? How do you create that potential? How do you connect with new people in your life? Not, not the ones you expect to, the ones you don't expect to, how, how do you do that intentionally? And, and that's really the question. Um, a lot of people do networking. A lot of people go to events and uh, they don't actually get the outcomes that they want. When I, when I, um, I, I throw, I like to throw parties. I like to, that's one of my things. Um, and when I do, I make sure that, you know, uh, I guess you should know this about uh, networking. The average person meets two to six people at an event. 40% uh, of people uh, interact with three people at a cocktail party, two of whom they already know. So if there's a cocktail party with a hundred people, right? This is about networks distribution, you know, network dynamics and, and probability distribution. If, if, if there, you go to a cocktail party, there's a hundred people, you speak to three people, two of whom you already know, you've created a 1% chance of serendipity happening. A 1% chance. And so if you simply do what I do, which is make sure everybody speaks to 20 people at that 100 person party, you, know, you radically increase the probability of something happening. And if you uh, do something else, which is uh, you make sure that people know what you want to talk about, you multiply that exponentially. And then if you make sure that people know uh what you're looking for help with, not just the one or two or 20 people you speak to, but the entire room, right? You radically increase the, ch the chances of ser serendipity. And so when I throw parties, you know, I make sure that these three things happen in the parties and about 80% of the attendees actually find some kind of help with the problem that they had. And it, it, like at the last one I threw, there was one, someone who was looking for help uh, on, on writing a book on uh, African uh, folklore. And she found advice on, on writing a book. She um, uh, found a, a professor of African history in the UK who she's talking with, right? This was a business meeting. This is not a thing where you would have expected that the those people would have appeared. And yet, if you maximize that connectivity between people, you do less stupid stuff, right? One of the things that's stupid is like not letting people know what you want to talk about. Uh, and, and you ask for help more effectively. You radically increase the chances of luck happening to you. Like there's a science to luck. This is not random. The people who are repeatedly successful in life, it's not like some of it's lucky, right? But it's not random. You know, you take a look at Elon Musk, right? It's pretty clear that, yes, he's a lucky guy. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's also a little crazy. Um, 
but his luck is not random, right? And and so the question becomes, how do you take those little nuggets that, that are around you every every moment of every day, and how do you use them more effectively by by shifting uh, probability distributions by by stacking the deck in your favor, and by shifting the flow of of opportunity so it goes by your door, right? How do you shift those network dynamics so that uh, you're in the right place or or it comes to you? And those are the things that you really want to do if you want to have a better career, if you want to have a better life. And then the last piece, obviously, is what I was talking about earlier, this, this idea of understanding the range of possible futures. Because, you know, when, when you take a look at um, uh, what people know, what people think about, what people take seriously, you know, very rarely are they things they haven't experienced. If you look at the um, SEC 10K filings, the, 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 the proxy disclosures, the annual reports uh, that were required to file as public companies in the United States. Eight of the 10 largest companies in America failed to identify pandemics as a risk in 2019. 80%. And yet the probability of these things was going up. We'd seen multiple zoonotic disease transfers uh, from, from nature in, in, in the last couple of decades. Um, this was going to happen. And yet we said, hey, that, that happens over there. It's Ebola. It's you know, bird flu. It's something that happens in China. It happens in Africa. It doesn't happen here. The, the two companies that identified pandemics as a threat in, in uh, 2019 were Apple. And they said, hey, you know, remember when that janked up our supply chains and like, you know, things shut down in southern China for a couple of weeks? Yeah, that, that might happen again. They didn't think about the secondary impacts, right? What happens when all of our retail stores close on the same day that everyone decides they want a new notebook computer, right? They didn't really think about the bigger picture. And the other company was uh, an insurance company, CVS Health, which is Aetna Insurance, which uh, obviously was concerned about um, the cost of testing and, and pandemics and so forth. But, but they weren't, they, my point is, that was an industry that had to think about that. A hundred percent of the industries that didn't have to think about it didn't think bigger, right? They didn't think about the larger historical perspective that these things happen. They haven't happened in a, light, a long time. The things, the network dynamics that increase the likelihood are all exploding, right? The amount of travel out of China uh, increased 10 times between 2012 and 2019. Right. They went, moved, went from an irrelevant tourism spender to the largest on the planet uh, in, in less than a decade. Right? They, the, the population density of cities like Wuhan, you know, they, they had doubled in less than 20 years. Wuhan, by the way, is a population the size of New York City. Like it went from basically being a place that was surrounded by forests to, to, to New York City um, in 20 years. Uh, and, and that was happening across China, it was happening across India, it was happening across Southeast Asia, it was happening across parts of Africa. So the probability of these things was going through the roof. And yet everyone said, eh, it hasn't happened to me yet. Right. Ask, what do you think is if the you'd biggest ask your thing? Grandparents, if you'd asked your grandparents, they, they lived through, my grandparents lived through 1917, 18, 19, Right? They'd seen this. They, they knew exactly what was going to happen. So and so, looking at that larger historical perspective is the other thing that's super important. What do you think is the biggest thing that people should be thinking about now that they're not? <laughs> I guess I opened myself to that question, didn't I? Um, the obvious thing is, you know, you take a look at the the new world order that's starting to appear. Right, uh, we're assuming that. Russia won't win Ukraine, but there's no reason to believe that a man who has no other options won't continue to play, right? And that a whole bunch of democracies who do have other options will take half measures, which they have been. Um, so, so there's every reason to believe that there's going to be a shift in the political order in Europe. Uh, and independent of that, you know, coming out of COVID, what is the impact of the debt the, the unaddressable debt in Southern Europe, uh, in Germany's historical uh, lack of desire to really pay for it, you know, coming out of COVID. What's going to happen to our assumptions about the growth of the middle class in, in um, 
South Asia, right? So if you take a look at China, the reason it's been exploding its economy, growing so aggressively, is that they're facing a population inversion. So, so as you have more old people, older people, they spend less, right? They, they buy less sneakers and dinners, and they cost more. Right, and this is a foundational issue. So China's been trying to build its economy as fast as it can, uh, in preparation for this population inversion. COVID has shifted their their economic plans. Right, it's a huge issue. Same thing in South uh, in in Southeast Asia, which was going to be the next uh, growth economy. Same thing uh, to a lesser extent uh, in India, um, and and so the the entire growth trajectory of the planet is likely to be slightly different than we'd expected. That's going to have huge political fallout uh, as China takes its, in my mind, rightful place as a major economy. Um, and as Europe uh, redefines itself in the, shape, in the face of COVID and in the face of the debt and population issues uh, that, that it's going through. So I think that's what we need to look at is this idea that we believe that the world's going to continue to harmonize, that the globalization will continue to happen like it has um, my entire lifetime. And yet there's no reason to believe that that's true. Totally. I feel like for some people, myself included, it can feel a little overwhelming. Like <laughs> I don't have any control over Germany. I, I've never even been to China. I certainly don't have any control about what yeah. goes around there. So what advice would you have for like individual humans sure. who are living, could be in the US, could be anywhere in the world, but are yeah. on a, a kind of more micro level. Yeah. What, what either are some tactical things that we should be right. doing, or maybe right. if it's not doing, maybe it's just thinking about. Yeah. So, so the first thing uh, you make a good point and, and what I often hear um, in business, you know, when I start talking about the future is people say, well, you know, we, we control what we can and we ignore what we can't. Well, how do you know what you can and cannot control? First of all, like what, what, what's your evidence that, that you can't actually control the, the personal outcomes of these changes? What's your evidence of that? Like, I understand you can't control what China does. That's true. Right. But can you control the outcomes for you of that change? And in more cases than not, you can, uh, in, in business, uh, you know, you can, you can really lean into these things. You know, when, when you take a look at COVID, right? Um, uh, Zoom did 26 times growth. When you think about it for a second, Microsoft had their software on all of our computers. They had the contracts in place. They had the sales teams in place. They had the global government relations in place. Microsoft should have won the video conferencing wars. And yet it didn't. Zoom did. Why? It's not because they had better resources. wasn't because they had smarter people. wasn't because they had more money. It was because of a mindset of how do we lean into this opportunity? You know, you take a look at Amazon, right? 10 years of growth in the retail business in 90 days. And you can say, ah, it's Amazon. Too much money, investors, whatever. Here's my question to you. If I could give you 10 years of growth in 90 days, and they give you the money and the people and the resources. Could you hire a workforce the size of the Ford Motor Company? In 90 right. Days? I heard you, I heard you talk about that on a different on a on a podcast I was listening to. Yeah. And I was like, it's such a good point. You know, how I think sometimes we were reprimanded in school or whatnot for daydreaming, you know, oh, what happened to this and daydream and daydream. But I think it takes a little bit of imagination and it does take a little bit of, okay, you know, Putin decides to nuclear bomb. Great. What are my options? Am I going to work the next day? What's happening to my business when and if he decides to do that? And so I think it's important for business owners. Absolutely. Do you think for people not, not necessarily applying to me, but I know some of the people who are joining us definitely work at corporate jobs. I mean, should they really be daydreaming about, okay, today is Wednesday, Putin drops a nuclear bomb on Thursday. What happens to me on Friday? What happens to my company? What happens to my right. job? Like, should, right. is that how we should be thinking about it? 
I, I don't recommend waking up on Tuesdays thinking about nuclear war. That's, that's, that's a thing I do, but it turns out that most people don't actually make a living coming up with ideas for disaster movies. And, and, um, that's that's not uh, what most people want to do. The the the, way, <laughs> the the thing the reason to think like that, you know, is to ask a counterfactual question, right? A what if that we cannot prove, um, and and it's not really about you know what happens if Putin drops a nuclear bomb. It's what happens if the world order changes because you know at the beginning of World War One, two days before. You know, the, 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 the German reserve newspaper, their military reserves, were talking that their, their front page article was about um, uh, how much better marksmen they were within the French. Right. Like wasn't talking about like the biggest issue of the next decade or the fall of the British Empire. Uh, these things happen quickly. Uh, is, is, is my point. And if you don't have some context of what the implications would be, you're behind it like everybody else. And the reason that you think about these isn't because you can prepare for meteors falling from the sky or nuclear wars or, you know, uh, or, or, or pandemics. That, that's not the point. The point is that no matter what uh, size company you have, uh, you know, there are four major buckets of risk and four opportunities for innovation, financial innovation, operational innovation, uh, changing the external environment or your relationship with it in uh, your strategy, your demand forecast. Those are the four major things that change, the four major points of risk in your company. Uh, and if you start to think about how, what, how would these different types of things impact uh, my company or, or my career, uh, my finances, my operations, my, my external environment, and, and my strategy in life, right? Um, you start to understand where the points of challenge are and where you need to innovate processes. The same thing is true for customers, right? You can start to innovate products in this way too, asking what are the financial, operational, external, and strategic risks that they, they are facing that they probably have not addressed that we know within the timeline that you care about, whether it's one year, three year, five years, um, they're likely to face. You know, if you show up with a lifeboat, you can charge a premium, right? If you talk to customers and they say, hey, you know, uh, and you say, hey, what do you want? They'll say, I want something majestic. I want a grand ship. I want, I want it to have, you know, uh, I want a great cruise ship with luxury foods and, and, and I want to travel the seas. Yeah, you, you, you know what happens when there's a disaster? No one wants to be on the fucking Titanic. Uh, you know, correct. your real value to your customers is not that you can sell them a luxury experience. Your real value to your customers is that you provide them with a life raft. And so if you can figure out where those high value points are, those financial, operational, external, and strategic threats are to them, and you can help them address those in powerful ways, that's how you extract excess rents. You know, when you think about there's a company called Smith Salvage uh, that operates in South Africa. And when uh, we should talk about what a rogue wave is, because we're like many minutes into this. So, so, so let me get there and then we'll talk about Smith Salvage, which is a super, super cool company. Um, in the deep ocean, uh, you know, you see 20 foot waves actually pretty frequently. But what happens when 10 or 12 of those 20 foot waves collide, right? They can literally become a 120 foot wave. In, inside of a minute, inside of two minutes. And there's no way to escape that wave, right? The same thing happens in business. Same thing happens in life. That's what we were talking about with COVID, right? People said pandemics happen. No one thought about what are the implications of those on global logistics, on, 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 on so on, on our internal operations. And no one thought about what does that mean for how we go to market in the future. Very, very, very few companies did. My point is when you start realizing that rogue waves are a reality in our lives and in our businesses, you, you, you think radically differently and you start to think about, okay, volatility is increasing, uh, disruption is increasing. That means that maybe I wanna figure out how to innovate to take advantage of those disruptions as opposed to trying to just disrupt things in normal times.
And so when you think, take a look at this company called Smith Salvage, they're fascinating to me. They're a salvage company. And, and when your boat gets hit by a rogue wave off of Zimbabwe, which is where many of these things happen, uh, who do you call? You call Smith Salvage. They're not cheap. Right. The cost of a lifeboat uh, when your boat's already, you know, capsized, not cheap. And so is a small business, a medium sized business. Yes, you want to be operating in good times. But what you want to really be doing is looking at where's that massive disruption for my for, for, for my customer and how do I provide value when that happens? Because then you'll have loyalty and margin. Well, and it goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier about really studying the history of things. And I think Chris brings up a really good point. I think what's gained popularity, certainly in the last couple of years, thanks to Ryan Holiday and the Daily Stoic uh, and, and his various stoic, you know, waxing and wanings about how, yeah. how great that is, is really the study of people that have long since passed away. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious, is that also part of a practice or, or something that you really look at when mm -hmm. it comes to looking at history and, mm -hmm. and what we might be able to learn from it? So, so I think there's, th thanks, Chris, for the great question. I think there's a lot to learn uh, from, from Stoicism. I think there's a lot to learn from philosophy, particularly a little corner of philosophy that's super, super geeky. Uh, called epistemology, which is the study of how we know what we know. It's like the philosophy of science. and It's like super geeky stuff. Um, but if you are in the business that I'm in, which is how do you find new solutions to new problems, right? That is exactly the problem you deal with all day long. So I think it's super cool. And again, I'll let you in on, on a little secret. There are four types of, of knowledge problems, right? And, and do you remember Donald Rumsfeld? He talked about the knowns and the unknowns and the unknown knowns and the known unknowns. Well, uh, think about that for a second. Like the guy was trying to justify a really stupid set of decisions when he said that. So he got railed. But if you if you take a four, you know, like a, a two by two or a four box or the Harvard calls them the magic squares, right? And, and on this on, on one axis, you say, here, here, here's uh, what we don't know, and here's what we know. On the other axis, you do the same thing. You end up in one corner with known knowns, in the diagonal corner with unknown unknowns, unknown knowns, so on and so forth. Well, the, those, those are the four actual types of problems that we have to solve in life. And um, for each of those, there are different toolkits. And in college, uh, we tend to learn one of them, maybe two. And I'll go through what they are because I think they're super important to, to the lessons of ancient philosophers because this goes back to Socrates, Aristotle, uh, a, a lot of the, the early statisticians, uh, a lot of the early mathematicians. Like we're talking about some, some, deep, some deep stuff here. Um, if you have to solve a known known, right, you think like a lawyer. And these are, these are all cartoons. Like if there's a lawyer in the room, like, yes, I understand. Um, but you think like a lawyer and you say, okay, what, we, we know the universe of facts. Given that, what must be true? Right? It's called deductive reasoning. It's like, you know, arithmetic basically, right? Uh, if you have a, uh, a known unknown, something that we know we don't know, right? Uh, you start looking at that uh, like a scientist. It's what's called inductive thinking, right? Saying with the facts that we have, here is the thing that is most likely to be true, right? That's kind of like algebra, right? A plus B must equal C, right? So you add in two, you get the third one. Uh, the third piece is, is what's called uh, Bayesian reasoning. And this is, this is a thing that's really expanded over the last decade, two decades, as we've started to build artificial intelligence. And, and this is the thing that makes search engines work. It's the thing that helps you, you know, make kayak figure out the best price for a thing and, and whether it's more likely to be expensive on Tuesday than today. Uh, and and it's, it's building a model of a system and saying, okay, we have a black box here, or we have a black box here, but we know these three things. And so based on what we know about how things input and output, um, uh, we know the range of what could happen. And this is what economists do and how they try and do things like model inflation or future interest rates or whatever the heck they do, economic growth. Um, and so it's a probabilistic thing, but it helps us understand uh, things we didn't know 
that we could know. It's really interesting. And then the last box, which is unknown unknowns, this is called uh, abductive thinking. And this is kind of how an artist thinks. This is a lot of what I, I do all for, um, but this is a lot of what I do with customers is saying, okay, if, if something that we absolutely knew to be true, right? Something we absolutely knew to be true uh, wasn't, how would that change your opinion? Because it turns out that, uh, uh, well, Newton is, Newton's laws of physics are right most of the time. It's not actually a good model of physics. It turns out that the standard model, uh, which is what we've been using since yeah, the 1900s, is broken too. Like there is something we do not know about something as basic as like the world that we look at every day. So what would happen if something that we absolutely knew to be true wasn't? How would our opinion change? Or what if something radically different came to light? So that's called abductive thinking. And that's really thinking, uh, thinking like an artist. And so when I think about stoicism, when I think about philosophy and, and, and what we have to learn from the great minds of history, it's really how to do those four things and how to do them better. Most of us are really good at one, maybe good at two, uh, but certainly have blind spots uh, for two or three of these. And, and, and that means that we know less about the future than we can, right? And going back to what I was talking about at the very beginning, where we were talking about, um, uh, you know, are you certain of what you can and can't control? Well, if you don't have the full skill set for understanding what you can and can't control, you certainly don't have control of as much as you could. In most leadership teams, most leaders, they have partial skill sets for taking advantage of the future, for thinking about the future. And that means that they have tilted and limited views. And that means that they take unnecessary risks uh, and give up unnecessary opportunities almost on a daily basis. Is that you? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's definitely something to consider. And I think it, it really kind of harnesses the, the goal of working with other people too. Yeah, you know, if absolutely. you're really only good at two or one or two of those kind yeah. of quadrants, finding right. other people that are maybe good in one of the quadrants that you're yep. not good in or two of the quadrants yep. that you're not good in because you know just knowing that you have those blind spots i think is really important i i think it i think it's foundational right most of us don't uh you know it, how many centuries did did it take us to realize that that air is made up of multiple different uh elements oxygen nitrogen hydrogen so on and so forth it took us like the vast majority of human history until the 1900s uh, to figure this out or maybe that maybe it was the 1800s maybe it was boil but but my I, i'm sorry <laughs> 19th century 18th century maybe it was 1800s maybe it was 1700s but my point is um you know there are really obvious things in retrospect that are not obvious to us today. And, and if we don't have these competencies on our team, if we're not conscious of these blindnesses, we're, we're giving up our potential. Oh, a hundred percent. That's why I think, you know, I was really excited to just copy your homework today when it comes to this type of stuff, because you, you have done so much of the, the deep work and the thinking that a lot of us haven't really thought about doing or don't have the time or the skill set or the knowledge base to do. So I'm really excited to ask you these next couple of questions. Cool. They're just straight ripping your homework. It's <laughs> sort of like speed induced caffeine round. But is there... I'm going to go faster. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. like we we just yeah. we just went through like four four master's degrees worth of education and, and, and I know and, it's gonna it's gonna let's get do fun. it let's do it. Um, what is something that you have started using or doing lately that you are obsessed with? It could be yeah. like a certain app that you've started using or meditation or I don't know what it is, but what is something that you've just you've you've kind of recently been like really obsessed with? I like asking people random questions that improve their lives. So when I'm standing in line at the grocery store 
I like to ask this question. I like, and, and, and I'd ask you all to do this experiment today if you're comfortable, even if you're not, because it's going to be awesome. Uh, I like to say this weird thing. I like to say, hey, um, to whoever is standing in line next to me, I'm doing an experiment. I don't have an agenda here. I, it's, I know it's a little weird. Um, but I'd like to know while we're standing in line right now, what I can do to improve your life today. It pops people's heads and then it makes them have a better day, no matter what happens, because they're intentional on what their goal is for the day. They start mm -hmm. seeing those opportunities in a different kind of way, simply because of this, this question. And, and occasionally, more often than not, I can actually help them. I connect them with someone. I point them to a website, so, something or other. It, it's just a little way to make the world better, to create serendipity, to create potential, to create opportunity on the planet, literally without wasting any time. I was standing in line anyway. It's certainly better than being buried in your phone. <laughs> which is what it's so many of us do when we're standing in line. So I love that. I'm absolutely going to try that out this week because that is a fantastic, easy, really doable little homework assignment for us. And, so and, and you can do it on your next Zoom call. You don't need to wait until you're you're in line, you know. And if it's someone you know, you can ask a more deep question, which is, hey, what are you trying to accomplish with your life this year? What's the biggest challenge you have? And, and is there a way in the next five minutes I can help you unsort, unpack, find some release to that blocker? And if you do that, yeah. you'll have a friend for life. You'll help someone out. Probably it's, it's weird how often we can. Uh, and, and, and we'll have a better day. Oh, absolutely. No, that's, that is a fantastic assignment for all of us. Most definitely. What is something that in 2022 you're really hoping to learn or maybe learn more about? It could be something yeah. like learn a new language or maybe it's a new <laughs> subject with work. So I, I about every two or three years, I, um, uh, I try and learn some new skill, some new subject, right? Going back to those, those four ways of knowing, uh, I try and expand um, where I'm at right now is I'm really trying to improve my communications skills, mm -hmm. trying to get better uh, at, at teaching. And so I'm, I'm uh, taking courses. I, I have a communications expert that I'm partnering on a bunch of stuff with um, oh, I'm working with. And so I'm just actively trying to build this into my life and into, and, and into the things I do. And so everything I do is somehow helping me learn this new thing. I love it. Well, I have this theory that in addition to the five people that you physically spend the most time with, thanks to these crazy things, yeah. we are also the summation of the five accounts or, or humans that we follow online. And you yeah. mentioned Dory Clark. She's certainly one of these for me, but I'm curious if you have any humans or maybe even yeah. a brand or a company account that yeah. you follow yeah. or, or consume their content that you just feel like, wow, that added, whether it's a smile or knowledge, yeah. it just it yeah. added to my life. So the smartest, uh, the, I, I guess a number of things. Uh, one, Ian Bremer, uh, follow him on LinkedIn, uh, follow me on LinkedIn okay. too, but follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, smartest comment on uh, international affairs of the day every day. Uh, second, Amazing. Nick Thompson, who used to be the the head of uh, the, the editor of Wired, um, and then uh, is now the CEO of The Atlantic. Uh, always, mm -hmm. always useful stuff. Um, and then the third, just because he's, uh, I, I, I only know him a, a bit, but he's, every time I've interacted with him, he's just made me a smarter and better person is Adam Grant. Uh, he's really yeah. me. Um, he's the person he says he is. Uh, he's the person, he's a person who does what he tells other people to do on a daily basis and, and um, getting to know him better has changed my life. That's such a good one. I can't wait to look into some of those because I definitely don't follow everybody on the list. So, but I will momentarily Okay, if you had to give us one other homework assignment, 
besides the one we just talked about. That, yeah. And maybe we could do it anytime yeah. over the next week. Yeah. What would what would our additional homework assignment from you be? It could be read a certain. It, it could be follow on LinkedIn. It could be. It could be anything. Yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, yeah, follow, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, but the, the other, the other more important thing, uh, from a personal perspective, uh, personal development perspective, I think, uh, the article that Doria and I wrote in HBR is, is really, really useful. If someone could put that in the comments, I'd really appreciate it. If you just type in Dory Clark, Jonathan Brill, HBR on Google, it'll, it'll, be there. Zing right uh, read, up to the top. Yeah, read 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 that. It's it's super good. Um, and if you're a business, uh, I wrote an article in HBR uh, about how HP uh, turns catastrophes into opportunities or something. That's another really good place to start. And uh, if you want to triple down, you know, get the book. I love it. Well, this has been so much fun. Where can people keep learning from you, keep up with all of the new stuff that you have going on? Is there yeah. a social media uh, yeah. platform that you spend yeah. the most time on or, or how's the best way for people to keep in touch? I, so I, I try and post every day on LinkedIn, uh, okay. something, something useful, something interesting. Um, uh, that's, that's the best place to re to find me for, for speaking and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Jonathanbrill.com. And that's kind of my giant archive and fire, you know, uh, uh, leaf pile of uh, stuff that happens. I love it. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. I feel like we have a lot of Googling to do, and a lot <laughs> of homework to start on, but we yeah. really appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kim. And thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Anya. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Jocumo, for having me today and, and for sticking around. I really, really appreciate it. I love it. Well, sending you a big cheers from Austin, everybody. And we will see you next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, same time, same place. Have a great week. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Whew. That was some good stuff. Thanks for being a part of this week's Coffee with Kim. If podcasts are your thing, subscribe to the show and you'll see a new episode appear next week in your favorite listening app. If you want to be a part of the conversation, join us live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern over on LinkedIn. You can RSVP at getcoffeewithkim.com. I want you to have your questions answered because why should I get to have all the fun? And let's be honest, you know how to ask some hard-hitting questions. My guests and I cannot wait to meet you. See you soon.